Okie doke. So um, anyway, adulting, I really don't recommend it. I, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I chose a life of uh, simplicity. Adulting is not for me. Would not recommend. One star. Yeah. I, I'm uh, turning 40 next week. Really? Yeah. You thought I was older, didn't I? Yes, I did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, everyone. Eric Grenier here, and welcome to this episode of The Numbers. Philippe, how you doing? I think I caught you in the middle of a laugh. <laughs> Good morning, Eric. How are you? It's, I'm uh, it's good. good. It's it's good to see you. Uh, I I think it's the last time I will see you in your thirties. So yeah. this is something to celebrate. For everyone yeah. who don't know, who doesn't know this, uh, Eric will turn forty very soon. Yes. He's going to short the four o club. So you'll see. It's 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 just as like the thirties. Just the music is always a little too loud. And also more joints hurt and these kinds of things. So, yes. <laughs> well, you know. That's a, yeah, we'll keep my actual birth date secret. I'm not one of these people who wants to put it out there. I don't want to be, uh, you know, uh, scammed by people trying to figure out uh, what my actual birthday is. But it is soon. And that's true. I'm turning 40. Uh, which feels feels like I'm pretty old, but it's probably not. There's probably listeners who are older than that and thinking, thinking like, I remember when I turned 40 and that was a long time ago. And there's probably a lot of listeners saying, I can't even imagine turning 40. That's in 20 oh, yeah. years. Oh, yeah. And you go like, anyway. uh, well, of course, when I'm 40, I'll be so old. And look at us. We're doing fine, right? So Yeah, we're, st- we're doing a podcast. That's like what young people do, right? <laughs> I think. So, yeah. So what about the numbers? So let's talk yes, about let's some get into numbers. It. Yeah, let's get Maybe into that it. should have been my number of the week, 40. Um, <laughs> Eric, we, the, the NDP... Uh, finished its convention in Hamilton, yep. Ontario. I did not go to this one. It was too expensive and uh, it was the timing was wrong. But uh, I read, I think, everything that came out of it. So what did you, what did you think of the, the coverage of the, the, the convention and what, uh, what came out of it? Overall, it wasn't a uh, bad convention, I don't think, for the NDP. They did have the protesters about uh, yeah. Palestine uh, kind of getting... Some coverage, which might have derailed things a little bit, but overall, it seems to me that the party itself avoided some of the pitfalls that could have happened on that file. That in the end, they ended up voting a uh, voting down a more, let's say, more divisive statement regarding Israel, and they adopted one that was far more um, even even handed, let's say. And mm. you know, they voted on the pharmacare thing, which I think the NDP is going to be happy to use, though only a little bit. I really don't see the NDP. Calling the calling the government's bluff on these things, but I guess we'll we'll see what goes on there. What did you make of the uh, NDP convention? It doesn't it, it doesn't get as much coverage as the conservative one, but I think yeah. for the NDP, it did they did pretty well. I think they avoided the worst, that's for sure. Uh, but you can see also deep divisions in this party because there is mm. there are NDPers who are even though the numbers don't look good right now but are very happy to be part of a sort of coalition with the liberals uh, it stabilized the government they have some influence uh, they can have some of their demands by joining with the liberals in this uh, in this government but <laughs> Still, the NDP, some uh, others have uh, more um, appetite or ambition for the NDP than just being the little brother of the liberals. They, right. Some of them want to replace the liberals at some point. 
And it's not working well right now. Even though the liberals are down in the polls, we don't see any progress for the NDP in the federal numbers. Maybe some regional places where the NDP is doing better, especially uh, in the prairies right now. But that's probably because of the web canoe effect. Um, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the confidence vote that Mr. Singh received, 81%. I think well we took we I think we both took the over on ninety percent right and so yeah. last week and we were wrong and I was wondering either it's ninety percent or it's like sixty seven or something I'm not sure what to make of an eighty one percent because it's not good but it's good enough uh, and so Mr Singh keeps leading the NDP and he will probably through the next election. Uh, I, I have to wonder that it's his last election unless they have a breakthrough. Am I wrong about this? Yeah, no, I, I think it, it that's true. The 81 to me is a really fascinating number because I looked at all of the uh, leadership review votes that I could find for the NDP federal and provincial over the last like two decades. And 81 is not a very good number. Often mm. these leaders get over 90%. Even when, you know, they've had a defeat or they've been around for a little while, they still usually get somewhere around 90. Singh last time got 87. Uh, you usually get that kind of score when things are going fine and nothing bad is going to happen. Yeah. Then you go on the other end of the uh, spectrum. If it wasn't the NDP, but, you know, Alison Redford, Ed Stalmack, they both got 78 and they ended mm. up out of their job a little while later. We mentioned it, I, I think, on the last podcast. Yep. Bernard Landry got 76 and said, that's not good enough, I'm stepping aside. And there was uh, the, the Saskatchewan leader in, in uh, the NDP leader in Saskatchewan, Ryan Miley, he had gotten, I think it was 75 or 76, and he also was out pretty soon after that. So to be at 81 is just above the level where people are kind of questioning or it's, or, it's, or it's a signal that you might be in trouble. Uh, that's what I find kind of fascinating about the number. As you said, it's good enough. It's good enough that no one's going to be saying, oh, wow, maybe Singh should consider stepping down. But it's low enough that people have to be wondering how much clout he still has within the party. Because when you think about the delegates who go to a party, they're pretty committed. Now, the NDP always has, you know, the Socialist Caucus, and and they used to have the waffle. People who like to more or less disturb be a disturbance let's say for the NDP wanting them to go a lot farther usually not happy with who the leader is and this kind of thing so there's always that little chunk that might go but I don't know to get 81 percent when there isn't someone in the waiting in the wings not a great result and as you said I think that does suggest that it's he has to have a great performance in the next election if he wants if he stays on and if he wants to stay on I mean he's been leader now for six years It'll yeah. be eight years by the next election. That's 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 a decent amount of time. He's going to end up being one of the, I think, top four NDP leaders in terms of longevity wow. uh, if he if he hangs on until after the next election. And yet, so little to show for it, though. I, I, that's the that's the thing. I mean, I know it's I know Jack Layton did well on his fourth election. Yeah. It was yeah. So it, patience sometimes can pay off with the leader, uh, but. Uh, I'm looking at the numbers since he became leader, and there has been zero progress. So you have six years of Singh as leader, and he has won, as in won new regions. He hasn't won uh, many new seats. I mean, he's lost seats compared to what Mulcair had in 2015. 
And I, I, you see the, the, the liberals right now hanging around, I mean, 25% in the latest nanos. Uh, Abacus, mm. I think, at the 26, or was it Main Street? Anyway, so mid-20s for the liberals. You would expect the NDP to be doing better than this. And the NDP is not. And so I, I was kind of expecting either a blowout or they turf him. But they, uh, they chose somewhere in between, so they keep him for now. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, that what you just said, the the ambition versus the happy with where things are, because if you're a new Democrat and you've been working this job or involved in it for decades, you might have an understanding that you're it's going to be tough to get to the next level federally. Provincially, you can always have provinces where you can form government and and that's where you can kind of do a lot of the work and, and and build up the party. But federally. Being at eighteen percent is sort of where you can. That's almost the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting, if you're able to squeeze things out of a liberal minority government, then that's great. That's what you're there for to get policies and and laws and and things passed to help people. But then there's the other group that is that ambitious group that would be yeah. like, well, no, we can replace the liberals just as we've done in in other provinces in Western Canada, and want to, and and imagine forming government. You know, when Jack Layton at the beginning of the 2000, I'm not sure which one was the first one. It might have been 2008, but it was also, I think he did in 2011, saying that he's running to be prime minister. Hmm. And at the time, the, you know, the press gallery kind of laughed at it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's that divide, right? Whether you want to be the party that is actually vying for power and whether you want to be the party that maybe you're closer to what you actually are, which is a third party that can have a lot of influence in a, in a minority parliament. Um, and, the, and you know, Singh's approach, Singh has always talked about forming government, you know, during elections and this kind of thing. But yeah. the, the approach that the NDP has had over the last few years is more in the Tommy Douglas, David Lewis kind of mold where they're influencing government rather than necessarily um, forming it or being in contention to form it. To be fair, though, when we look at the numbers and we see that the NDP is, uh, the, I think, the lowest in the polls. I see the list of polls right now in my screen. 17% is the lowest. 21% is the highest. So you'd make an average is 18 or 19%. But you take out Quebec out of the, out of the equation for a second. Uh, when you look at English Canada, the gap between the Liberals and the NDP is quite small. Hmm. Uh, so I, it's... So we can see a path for the NDP to surpass the, the the Liberals at some point. I mean, it didn't. It was 2011 the only time it happened. I think it was right that the NDP was uh, the second party. It was the only. Oh time yeah. It yeah, 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 absolutely. Federally, yeah. yeah. There would have been some elections where I think the NDP would have finished second in English Canada. Yeah. Um, because obviously the Liberals used to do even better in Quebec and, and you know, not as great in, in the rest of the country. But Like 84 um, broadband, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. you, you know, in 2011, if you did look at just the English candidate numbers, uh, you know, the NDP did still better than the Liberals, I, I believe. I, I think they still finished second. But, you know, when you start talking about that, well, then you got to take out, you know, Quarter weak the support country. for the Conservatives in Quebec. Yeah. And, and then yeah. you have... In 2011, I think the gap between the Conservatives and New Democrats in English Canada was somewhere around 20 points. Mm. Like, it it wasn't close at all, right? So, um, anyway, it it is a challenge for the New Democrats what they're going to do going forward. But let's kind of take this in a different direction. So, if the challenge is for them, 
whether they're going to push the government to force an election mm-hmm. or, at, or at least put the pressure on to force an election, because if they cancel the confidence and supply agreement, they'll be on a vote-by-vote basis, which technically they are now. They could do that. They could just defeat the government to, today if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, would they have some cards put on the table, or is it, would it all be bluffing? You know, when we're looking now at where the polls are nationally, we're two years out. Uh, on Friday, it's literally two years out from the next election, at least on the on the calendar. Yeah. Um, I don't see a lot of incentive for the NDP to go to an, an election. I know it's an easy thing to say because we've been saying it forever. Yeah. But I really don't see why they would want to do this. Yeah, I... <laughs> thing is we think rationally because we look at the numbers i mean but i know that when you're in the game when you're on the convention floor when you i've seen people get really emotional about this and yeah you could say if they pull their agreement because the liberals don't deliver farmer care by christmas and i i don't see how they could that that's two months from now uh, unless the the liberals just say to the dp ah, it's gonna wait another year so take it or leave it if they say no, then that means that the next pressure point would be the budget in the spring, mm-hmm. right? So it's just that the numbers right now are so overwhelming for the conservatives that would the NDP just say, you know what, we'll go into an election, the conservatives will probably win, but at least they'll destroy the liberals. <laughs> Is, are, could they be playing the long game? I, I'm not sure they, they think that far that, that way, but um, they play, playing the long game that the liberals will be just completely destroyed after this election Trudeau will have to resign they have I mean I we have numbers on a potential leadership race that could happen Mm -hmm. we had that with anger street this week we'll talk about that later um I mean do you see Christian Freeland or Melanie Jolie uh just be able to sweep the country and uh, take the liberals back to glory uh maybe but uh not in the short term so the thing is, the NDP has the same problem. Jack Singh is not going to win you uh, power or even second place party. You have to change leaders. You have to find a new leader. And I'm not sure, as you said, there's somebody waiting in the wing. So. No, there's not an obvious successor in, in, in my view. Maybe there could hmm. be someone who comes out that, in retrospect, looks like the obvious choice. But, uh, I mean, that's a challenge for both parties. I think the Liberals also, as you mentioned, Christy Freeland, Melanie Jolie, uh, they might be able to do better than where things are now. Yeah. I think there's just as much chance, if not more chance, that they could do worse. Uh, but it's hard to imagine that it would have the same galvanizing effect that Trudeau had when he came. Hmm. Uh, and, you, you know, when you talk about a, a multi-election strategy where the NDP is thinking about whether the liberals go down in the next campaign and then they can replace him, I mean, that's what the playbook was in 2011. didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, you know, in 10, 20 years... We could look at at this period now and be and and say that the Trudeau years were sort of the last gasp of the Liberal Party, um, but I think it's more likely that this that the brand has some staying power since it's managed to show it for so long. But uh, one of the other considerations I find for the New Democrats is that when I was looking at the seat numbers, and I think it would be the probably the same with your projections, is that while they might make some gains in places like Toronto, because the Liberals have gone down. They might be able to win a couple of seats again in Atlantic Canada, again, because the Liberals have gone down. The Conservatives have gone up so much in places like B.C. and Alberta that the NDP would lose a lot of their seats there. They'd lose seats in Vancouver Island. They'd lose seats in the interior. They'd lose maybe their other seat in Edmonton, aside from Strathcona. And I'm not sure if that's a trade they would want to make, that they would want to gain a few extra Toronto seats, 
and lose some of these bedrock NDP seats in the interior and in northern Ontario, it feels like that's not an exchange that in the long term is a good one for the NDP because they need those kinds of seats. They need to be able to win those yeah. rural, you know, a little bit more working class kind of seats because if the party's just going to be a Toronto party, that might get them a few more seats in the next election. But in the long run, yeah, I think it, it, it limits their path going forward. It absolutely does. And I think we perhaps we overestimate we we keep to seem to forget sorry that the ndp never really outperforms their poll right yeah. so if if the average right now is at 18 they're probably at 16 or 17 uh that's what we saw in recent elections um so i i could see and like if an election was held like this fall right now with those numbers i could see the ndp dropping to perhaps 15 seats right and so ugh, hard to rebuild after that <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, because uh, we, we mentioned a second ago, Angus Street Institute had a very interesting poll, uh, focused mostly on Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, and they asked their respondents, so what would you prefer between these options? Trudeau should stay on until the election, next election, or Trudeau should step down before the next election? And when you look at the NDP number, <laughs> 47 say, 40, 47% say, that Trudeau should step down. Only 35% stay, say that she should stay on. The thing is, I, I would like to have this question, but more granular. Like, you want him to stay on because you want to beat him? Or because you <laughs> can... Because uh, like 82% of conservatives answer that Trudeau should step down. I'm sorry, it's like, okay, I know many conservatives dislike Justin Trudeau, or sometimes it's more than dislike. But don't you want to beat him? <laughs> I mean, if if liberals change leader and they recover, you're not you're not doing better. I think I'm not sure if this is very rational. But when you look at the NDP number, I was like, okay, half of NDPers, NDP voters want Trudeau to step down. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of this. Yeah, these questions to me are always a bit con- because of what you just said. There's that aspect to it. There are 12% of conservative voters who would like him to stick around, which might be the ones who just want to see him be beaten. I think yeah. most people responding to a poll would just think about whether they like him or not and want him to step down. Or I think that's how probably most people would <laughs> would approach this. The 47% for the NDP that think he should step down, that's an interesting one because Trudeau, when he came on and in the first few years, was pretty popular among New Democrats. Uh, but of course, I think the bigger number is probably that among liberal voters— Oh, yeah. It was 44 stay, 41 go. And to me, that is the more important number because I, I find we often see this. Polls put out, like, should this leader step down or stay on? And they're like, a majority of Canadians think they should step down. I always yeah. think that's completely useless because very few leaders have support of a majority anyway. So if yeah. your approval rating's not 51%, then you should expect <laughs> that most people might want you to step down. So it doesn't matter. But the, the, the liberal numbers, and those are liberals who voted... Uh, people who voted for the party in 2021, so not people who are currently with the party. Yeah. So that and does it, suggest that yeah. for that group that think he should step aside, there might be an ability to grow. But again, we're comparing it against a perfect, gener- generic, right. ideal liberal leader. And That's right. for a lot of people, they might not like whoever the party would choose if he was replaced. So there's a devil you know and the devil you don't know. And when you don't have the other option, people are not imagining that it's a Paul Martin. Uh, they're, they're not imagining <laughs> that it's, you know, 
yeah. a person who's waiting in the wings. They're just imagining something else, something better, and they, they won't necessarily get that. And a pretty good sample, too, right? There was uh, 507 past liberal voters. And with that sample, you have a statistical tie between those mm. who think he should stay and he should go. Uh, do you think that Justin Trudeau will stay on? Because the, the, the fact that he has been so down on numbers for about, what, three months now? Or we're closing on three months uh, being down double-digit, uh, like below 100 seats in a projection... Is this something at some point you go like, you know what, public opinion is not with me, I'm going to go? Because it's the easy way out, right? You just leave when things are bad. <laughs> And sometimes I... politicians do do that. It's just that I don't think it's part of his... Uh, That's part it. of his Yeah, it's not a part of him. He's a fighter. Yeah, I still think he'll probably stay on. And it's hard, especially when you're in a minority situation, because... They, as you mentioned, they have to make sure that they can pass the next budget. Mm -hmm. And if they did, then maybe Trudeau could use that opportunity to, to say, well, we have at least a year. But I still think he'll stay on because I don't really see that many. I don't see what would, would get him to go at this stage. But if you had asked me this, you know, a year ago, I'd probably be like 90% he stays on. And if you ask me now, I'm probably more like 70%. <laughs> you had to right. give numbers on, on how likely he would be to stay on. So, and that's changed just, I, you probably, actually, if you would have asked me just in May, I probably would have said 95% he stays on. Mm -hmm. And it's got, for me, it's gone down quite a bit, his, his chances of sticking around. What would you put it at? <sighs> Thing is, I wonder, the, 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 these constant ads and campaigning from the conservatives, considering that we are two years out from the election. Do, are they trying to make Justin Trudeau quit because they think whoever's the next leader will be easier to beat? Maybe, I don't want to do this four-dimensional chess here, but we, we, Trudeau's a good campaigner. It's just at some point the shtick runs out. <laughs> um, and I wonder whether they, they, they keep hammering the campaign right now. Or is it just because that they have tons of money and they have to, you know, they have to use it to do this permanent campaign? It's just, again, same poll from the Anger Street Institute, the favorability of uh, Pierre Poilievre is not that great. <laughs> I no. mean, 37% favorable, 49% unfavorable. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's better than a prime minister, for sure. But Anger Street has not seen much movement on the favorability of Pierre Poilievre over the past 12 months. And so... I. Would it be wise for the conservatives to run on a campaign about Pierre Poilievre? I don't think it will be, even though, yes, conservatives really do like this guy. Uh, it, it, maybe they, they, the piling on on Justin Trudeau is part of a strategy to make him quit so that whoever's next leader, they will be easy, easy pickings. But uh, again, maybe I, I'm overthinking this. But. Yeah, I think so. I think that they would be thinking more about it where things are and what they know, <clears throat> which is that Trudeau is the leader now and probably will be the leader in the next election. And he's down and they want to keep kicking him while he's down. They're not going to let him get back up. <laughs> and if he, and I think that they probably believe that if he does step, step aside and someone else comes in, they'll be able to beat whoever it is. Uh, hmm. I don't really think a Freeland versus Poilievre matchup is any better for the liberals in terms mm. of just the framing and how they would play off against each other. Uh, 
you know, if it was someone like Melanie Jolie, I don't know that that would be a bit different, I think, but and might give the liberals more of a chance in Quebec. I don't know, but I, I don't see that the conservatives would look at the field of potential successors and be afraid that any of them are going to do all that much better than Trudeau. I think actually they would probably they would probably be most wanting to beat Trudeau because they've they've lined themselves up yeah for that and they prepared themselves for that. But I think that they also probably have or they should have a bit of a healthy uh, respect for his campaign abilities. And, you know, they went into the last two campaigns thinking that they had him and they didn't. So, you know, they should have learned a lesson that they can't underestimate, uh, underestimate him as a campaigner. But eventually, as you said, that, that, that well of, of, of esteem you have for a leader just eventually gets too low and, you got to know if it's the time to quit or not before then, I guess. Eric, how could you mention potential liberal leaders without mentioning Mark Kearney? How dare you? But <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I did have a conversation with, uh, with a strategist this last week. Uh, and uh, basically, he said, how did Trudeau win You know those elections? He won by shifting a little bit to the left. Some people would say tons to the left. I don't think it's that radical, but okay. Uh, and uh, was able to, uh, you know, take take the NDP aside and take a chunk of those and win three elections. Bring in a banker and see how that strategy works, <laughs> right? Um, because I don't think you're, you will be converting m- many conservative voters in this country uh, uh, back to, into the liberal fold. I, um, I, I, this aura around Mark Carney, uh, I, I'm not sure. Is it a media creation? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, the numbers yeah. say 34% that think that he could be uh, a replacement. Uh, it was 72 for Freeland and uh, 51 for Jolie, uh, 34 for Carney. So I don't know. I, I'll, well, I'll yeah, believe 30, it when I but see I, it. I think this, uh, those numbers are, are you know, they're, they're about like recognition, right? So oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. still is not very well known. Nope. Um, and again, I'm not sure how well he lines up against Poliev. Now, maybe he's he would be able to bring centrist voters that the Liberals have apparently lost, since they haven't lost very many to the NDP. Hmm. Uh, but as you said, maybe they lose more to the NDP. I don't. I, I can imagine that Singh lines up better against Carney than he would against Freeland or Jolie. <laughs> uh, because, you know, if he's going on against the big grocery store uh, yeah. magnates and all this, and then you have someone who was the head of the Bank of England and the Bank of Canada. Though he did in, speak at the Labour Convention in the mm-hmm. UK. So... You know, he's friendly with that side of the spectrum. I think he would be a lot more left-wing than people would expect from a Bank of Canada governor. What do you think? Do you want to move on to Ontario? Yeah, let's talk about Ontario. Yeah. Um, so, turns out that nothing really matters. <laughs> This was an abacus poll, 40% wow. for the Ontario PCs, up six points just over the last month and a half. Uh, the NDP and the Liberals both fell to 24%, which is where things were in July and more or less where things were in the last election. And it seems like everybody's fine. Everybody's fine with the Greenbelt thing. They actually had a question on Greenbelt. What was it? He apologized, uh, Eric. Why don't you mention that? Doug Ford apologized and he was, right. he was sincere. He's not going to give those land swaps to uh, the, the you know friendly developers. He's, Yeah, 62% <laughs> said it was a right decision to reverse the Greenbelt thing. Yeah. 16% said wrong. Uh, 
probably people with with uh, stocks in the development companies or something. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it keeps happening that Ford makes a mistake, he owns up to it and apologizes, and people seem okay with that. And I think that's a lesson for uh, politicians everywhere that admitting a mistake is probably politically might often be the best thing you can do rather than just barreling forward and 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 denying that you ever made an error although although not everybody can pull it off i mean no. apologizing admitting and then moving on is not a talent that many politicians have and doug ford for sure has it uh, is i what i found in very interesting in this abacus ontario poll eric is also the number of undecided. So you just uh, told mm. the numbers of decided voters, 40, 24, 24, which is exactly the result of the election last year. But 27% were undecided. This is high, especially for an internet poll. And so before uh, the, the uh, undecideds, it was 29 PC and 18 for the Liberals and the NDP each and five for the Greens. Uh, that's a lot of undecided voters. And I know we're far from an election, and I know Ontarians don't seem to care about Ontario politics. Not even half of them voted last year. Uh, but it, in a political poll to have 27% undecided, that tells me that there's also very soft support out there that could be won by a good campaign. And of course, the OLP is in a campaign right now, a leadership campaign. We'll know the leader, I think, early uh, December, I think it, it December is. December 2nd, I think it is. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it'll be, this is, I think, the baseline that we have to take to see whether those things will, the numbers will move once we're past uh, the, uh, the, the Liberal Convention. But uh, yeah, the PCs appear to be completely Teflon. They can mm. lose uh, cabinet ministers, uh, have resignations uh, in, uh, in the circles of Doug Ford because of this story. And then we move on to something else. It's uh, not many premiers can pull this off. No. And the undecided numbers you mentioned, what's interesting is the way that Abacus broke it down. They found that the undecideds has gone up, right? Yep. Went up seven points. Mm-hmm. And it was support for the liberals and NDP that went down. Now, we don't know because, you know, they're not necessarily the same people that are polled. But we don't know if it's explicitly liberals and New Democrats who became undecided. But... That is interesting because it does suggest, as you said, that if one of the opposition parties can get some energy, there is a chunk of that undecided vote that might be waiting to decide which of those two parties they're going to vote for. But uh, yeah, the, the PCs just do seem to have this base that's very hard, not going to uh, go much lower. And yeah, they it looks like they might be able to weather this one now. The RCMP says they're investigating. That might go nowhere. That has happened before. <laughs> yeah. But that's the kind of thing that could blow up at some point. Uh, but for now, it doesn't seem to have hurt them all that much. And yeah, Doug Ford's it, approval. And it is just yeah. kind of remarkable. And Doug Ford's approval, 30%. Disapproval, 47%. These are poor numbers. But <clears throat> I guess he, he has no opposition, no serious opposition right now. This is, I think... Uh, it's it's maybe unfair to Miss Styles uh, of the NDP, but she has been invisible, and uh, I know she's you know she's been trying very really hard. And now, of course, there's a story with uh, her MPP uh, mm-hmm. with comments on Hamas in Israel. I don't want to get into this. It's 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 a it's a. You call it un chamine? How do you call it? Uh, a minefield. A minefield. Thank you very much, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get into this, but so you have an unpopular premier, but you have unknowns as the opposition. So the unpopular premier goes on. So 
Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if any other polls will show the same numbers, right? Because there was pretty much unanimity that the PCs went down. There was Mm -hmm. some debate about whether it was a lot or just a little bit. And we'll see if they also show an uptick in the next round of polls. So that'll be something to watch. Okay, questions. Uh, We got some new ones from some new uh, listeners or some new Patreons and patrons. Uh, Just a reminder that if you become a member of our patron, which you can do at thenumberspod.ca, you can ask us questions on our Discord, which has started to get really lively. Sometimes I sign in and there's been dozens of new messages and I have to catch up. And or you can do it on the Patreon. And uh, of course, we also have weekly episodes. So next week will be a patrons-only episode, just as last week's was, so thenumberspod.ca. Okay, uh, we got three questions that we're going to do. We got a few more than that, but we're just going to take three for now. Or is it four? We got four. Yeah. Um, since we were talking about NDP, why don't we just do that one first? Andrew Charlton on the Discord asked, what kind of election result do you think would result in Jagmeet Singh stepping down as NDP leader? I, I think it's anything that's below whatever they had in the last election. Oh, you, you're too kind. I think if they if they replicate what they have, what was it, twenty five seats? That's not yeah. enough. I mean, they they I, I know that the twenty eleven orange wave is is far away in distance now. They they're not going to win a hundred seats, but Malkier did win what forty six I think it was forty six or forty seven seats. Uh, so so. Okay, I well think... wait here. Wait, let's let me let me rephrase it. Right. On election night. Yeah. I agree with you in the next in, in like the weeks after if he ends up with 25 seats again that's he's probably stepping down but on election oh. night hmm. what do you think is the result that he needs to get to resign <laughs> in his speech Right you you're right that is different because that too, uh, that's why I think if he has any progress yeah I think that he would not resign on election night He will dance his way on the stage and say uh, progress yeah uh, yeah, I, I say I think below 20 seats, he's gone. If it starts with a one, if it's like 18 or 19 seats, uh, it, there's no way that his circle will you know, just be gracious, go and make your speech and say you won't be there for the next election. Uh, but you know, even if he gets 30 seats, oh yeah, big whoop, the, the liberals lose half of their caucus and you you, know, you gain five seats. That, that would not be good enough for me, but maybe I'm too demanding. <laughs> I think I think if they got thirty seats, I think he would stay on. Hmm. I think you're. I right. don't know if he finishes that term, but I think he would stay on, and stay uh, on in in the short term and medium term as well. Right. But if right. it's a conservative majority government, I don't know if he stays on for four years. At, uh, but in terms of of the shorter term, I think I think for me the bar would be thirty. Between twenty five and thirty is the like weird zone of what's going to happen, and then below twenty five is the. Uh, hmm. Cooked either on election night or in the weeks that after, uh, follow. That's fair. That's fair. Fabrian Budiman. Yeah, Fabrian Budiman. Sorry if I mispronounced this. Can the federal NDP hope to win uh, to to make more gains in Manitoba with now the NDP government there uh, with Sat Web Canoe? And, and if yes, what seats in particular? Uh, we touched on this Eric last week about the the federal seats in Manitoba. There are fourteen of them. Um, and none of them have been very close. None of them are toss-ups right now. So you would have to see, like Winnipeg South Center, that the Liberals just won in a by-election last June. It was yeah, last June. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, with big numbers, you would have to see those kind of seats to, um, the, the, to, to have possible gains. But that means the Liberals really crumble in Manitoba, or not in Manitoba, but in, in downtown Winnipeg. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I don't see another seat for them. Uh, when I'm looking at the, the map here, I'm, just, I'm looking at one online. The only other ridings where they finished second was in Winnipeg North, where they were behind by 30-ish points, mm-hmm. and then rural ridings where they don't have a shot. The Conservatives have so much support. So I don't see really a second seat for them uh, in Manitoba. The fact that they won Winnipeg Center again in, the, in I don't know, I think it was 2019, um, that was sort of them filling up. I, I really see very little potential for them. Unless, yeah. as you said, there's a huge swing, they get a really great candidate to run in a riding. But apart from that, I feel like they've kind of topped up in, Winni- in in Manitoba. I don't see where they can win another one. I would look at next door Saskatchewan, where I think, well, Saskatchewan yeah. is blue, but you could have some gains in Regina or Saskatoon. Uh, in Manitoba, it's, mm, it's hard to see right now. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's do another one. Um, we'll stick with... Uh, they're all federal one this time. So how about this one? If the next Canadian election ends in a Polyev minority government, what do you think the likelihood is that we could see the other parties try to work together to form a coalition government mm-hmm. like the one that nearly happened after 2008? This was a question from Isabel on the Discord. <laughs> I have thoughts about this. Um, yes, there is a precedent for an attempt at a coalition. Uh, but if you and remember, I think it went badly. <laughs> it, I mean, of course, the, pl- the 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 main players, the main characters, were not that that great. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak ill of uh, Monsieur Dion, but he was not a great liberal leader. Um, <laughs> but uh, it ended badly. And if you need the Bloc Québécois in your coalition, there is no chance it's going to work. And there's no chance in the short term. And especially now with in Quebec, we have a, a slight resurgence of the Parti Québécois. The, 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 the Bloc Québécois, uh, when Yves-François Blanchet took over, uh, was basically the CAQ in Ottawa. But that's not the case anymore. Now they, 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 they will campaign for sovereignty. They will campaign for independence. And you had the PQ leader just yesterday talk about uh, the future Quebec currency and the Quebec army and a, you know, in a future Quebec Republic. The Bloc Québécois is going to go in there. And if you align with those people, the conservatives will eat you alive. And so you need the NDP, the liberals, and to a lesser extent, the Greens, to have more seats than the Conservatives. That's that's it. You cannot rely on the Bloc Québécois because it will kill you internally and uh, externally as well. So, uh, And I don't think the Bloc actually would do no. that. The, 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 the Yves-François Blanchet Bloc is not interested in making this work. No. I think there was a different climate when it was Harper. I don't think that the Bloc would feel that they need to keep in a Liberal government uh, whereas in this case, it was a conservative government that had been in for a couple of years. They were making some changes to the electoral financing laws, which were going to impact parties, getting rid of the per vote subsidy, which I think they should go back to. Um, hmm. Just if I can put an opinion. <laughs> Small tangent. It's only because I feel that we are misleading people because the amount of subsidies that parties get from uh, the government as it stands is enormous. The amount of tax credits you get for a, a donation to a party is greater than you do for a charity, and that Elections Canada reimburses you for all the expense for fifty or sixty percent of the expenses you have during an election campaign. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at the numbers, in some cases we are subsidizing 
dollars donated to a party many times over the actual value of the dollar. So while we have this fiction going on, why not we be a bit honest and have per vote subsidy? <laughs> that is my view because either I think get rid of all the subsidies yeah. and be honest about it or just go to a direct subsidy anyway. But that's, that's not happening though. They, they won't no, get no, rid no, of no. those subsidies yet. No, of course not. No, no, no. It's better if we don't actually say that we're giving party money to parties. We just do it surreptitiously and people don't realize it. That's the way we do things. Anyway, so the coalition, um, no, no, no vote. No. I mean, Isabel, it's a good question from Isabel, and I, the thing is, there's a difference if the Poiliev, a Poiliev minority, is like five or six seat short, yeah. or if it's twenty five seats short. I mean, th- this this is a different scenario. Uh, yeah. The problem is if the Conservatives do win the most seats on election night, uh, Justin Trudeau resigns. And maybe uh, Jack Meeting resigns, and then you have a leaderless opposition, and then you know the, the, the conservatives will good be good for a year or two. Yeah, they will be good for a while, and so yeah. I think you actually have that these calculations on on your website. What are the yeah. odds that the Liberals and the NDP, and we'll give them even the Greens, could win enough seats to form a majority together? It's not good right now. <laughs> so, all right. So, <laughs> the last update on uh, Sunday. So it doesn't include this week's polls yet. I don't think the, it would have changed too much, though. The polls are no, pretty much true. in line with everything that's, else. Eh? That's true. Odds of reaching 170 seats, the CPC alone, 83%. The CPC needing the Bloc Québécois, eight, uh, 17%. The CPC needing the NDP, 16%. All other combinations are below 1%. So the oh, Liberals okay. have no... I mean, unless you talk about a grand coalition, a grosse coalition, like in mm. Germany, but you know very well that that's not happening. So no. No, I don't think so. No. Um, okay. Uh, so <laughs> what else do we got? Uh, this one from uh, Gerard Kennedy on Patreon. Uh, this this one goes to, I guess, just what we were talking about a little bit in terms of, of the size of the conservative lead right now. The largest caucus in Canadian history is Mulroney, 1984, mm-hmm. at tw- 211. And he says the largest majority that was ever won in an election was Diefenbaker in 1958 because he won 78.5% of the seats in Parliament, which is just <laughs> enormous. So he said now this would be around 269 to 270 seats. What would have to happen for the Liberals, which I think would probably mean some sort of miracle, or the Conservatives to win 269 to 270 seats? Uh, you would need a complete disappearance of the Bloc Québécois. Mm-hmm. You will need the perfect vote split between the Liberals and the NDP in the, 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 the low 20s or high teens. Uh, well, basically what Doug Ford managed to do uh, with both opposition parties at 24%. Uh, lots of luck, <laughs> a good ground game, uh, but it's it's too high in this day and age, I think. it's. It, yeah. I mean, I could see the, the Conservatives winning 200 seats. In a 343-seat parliament. I could see that. And my numbers say that it is possible. But 250 seats or 260 seats? That's, that, that's just too high. There's just um, polarization with, with the cities and the rural areas. Is, you know, I, in a Bloc Québécois being there, of course, changes the game. So, what yeah, about you? would need the Bloc to completely disappear. Because uh, if you have 270 seats, that means you're leaving... 60 or 70 on the table yeah and you know the for the conservatives they would have to be winning downtown ridings in toronto in the lower mainland vancouver uh you just think about how many seats how many seats are on the island of montreal 
18 plus 4 in Laval. Right. So you're already 20 seats there. So that means, like, it means you would have to have the Conservatives doing amazingly in rural Quebec and uh, winning in, in Toronto and Vancouver. <laughs> and for the Liberals, I wonder, I just don't think that would be possible because of the amount of rural seats that they just don't have a chance to win in. Uh, you know, when you think about the 2015 result, the Liberals won 184 seats. Mm-hmm. How do you find them another 70 or 90 seats? You don't. Uh, you don't. I mean, yeah, they won all of Atlantic Canada. They won a majority of seats. In yeah, they Quebec. can't do any more that better there. No, yeah. no, they won. I think they won 80 seats in Ontario. I think that's a that's a ceiling. Uh, you would need to see liberal seats in Saskatchewan and mm-hmm. more than four in Alberta. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's replicable today. Although I mean, free elections can happen, but in a normal election, even if the uh, the, the conservatives have let's say forty four percent of the popular vote, uh, this level of I mean, you have to soup everywhere basically, and I don't think it's happening. So yeah, it's interesting to think about it. But like, what would you need to get there? Uh, and the Bloc Québécois, <clears throat> they were almost wiped out in 2011, but they were wiped out by the NDP, not the, cons- not the po- Conservatives, and not the Poiliev mm-hmm. Conservatives. Look at the favorabilities of Pierre Poiliev in Quebec. Even though his party is doing a little better, uh, there's no Poiliev love uh, in Quebec. And so that's a 78 seats that you you maybe have a dozen there. <laughs> so yeah. that's it. You and and the, the 1958 <laughs> election for Diefenbaker in 84 for Mulroney, especially 84 and Mulro- for Mulroney, but what they had in common was the Conservatives making a breakthrough in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just shows how necessary that is. Numbers of the week. Well, why don't I go first? Go first, yeah. Go ahead. I will choose the one that we mentioned earlier, which was 81, that number for Jagmeet Singh in the leadership review vote. Uh, it is down from his previous ones. He had, I believe it was 91 the first time. Or it might have been a bit higher, I can't recall. But he was over 90 when he had his first leadership review vote in 2018. He dropped down to 87 in his next leadership review vote after the 2019 election. And now he's down to 81. So he's dropped, you know, double digits as leader. That's not really the trajectory you would want to be on. Jack Layton did not have that kind of loss of support within his Mm. own party, despite the fact that his gains in, you know, in, in 2000. Six and 2008 were modest. Yep. And, uh, you know, they did win a seat in Quebec in, in the Outremont by-election. So maybe there would have been a little bit more hope for the New Democrats that are making progress. But Singh is not doing all that well in terms of growth for the party, prospects for the party. They don't seem any better than they did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. So I, I, I think that number probably is a little bit more significant than we might consider it. It's enough to get a an A, mm. but uh, mm. you know, mm. I'm not sure. B plus. I don't think it's an A. Well, <laughs> it depends. in in the humanities, you get 80. It's an it's a it's an A. So, oh, don't make me joke. I mean, don't make a joke about humanities. I'm a friend of humanities, even though I'm a physicist. But uh, my number of the week is four. Uh, the fourth. Parti Québécois MNA was sworn mm. in this week. Of course, when we say sworn in, he swore allegiance to the people of Quebec and not to the King of England. Thank goodness. Um, and um, 
you, I think you will, in this fall and the next spring, we will talk a lot about the Parti Québécois because they will unveil their platform about uh, year one of Quebec, uh, sovereign Quebec, the budget of year one of sovereign Quebec. And uh, it was a big chatter this week where when Monsieur Plamondon, leader of the Parti Québécois, answered question about, again, the Quebec currency, the Quebec army, uh, how would Quebec do uh, or fare in international agreements? Would it be part of NATO? Uh, this is politics fiction that is very, very good for fodder for imag imagination. So this fort uh, MNA just got sworn in, and they're, uh, they feel like they're just... You know, a few years away from uh, the le, le grand soir, the, the, the great night. So uh, keep that in mind. We will talk about Quebec politics in, on this podcast in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's back. Oh, it, it was never gone. It was just in, in, in dormancy or whatever it's called. So yeah, <laughs> dormant. There well, it was dormant. Yeah. This podcast isn't going to go dormant. We're going nope. to be back next week. <laughs> and if you don't want to miss next week's episode of The Numbers, head to our Patreon page at thenumberspod.ca. If you become a member, you'll get access to The Numbers every week on Thursdays, including exclusive episodes every two weeks, and get to participate in our Discord, where we chat politics and solicit questions for the weekly mailbag. If you're already a member of our Patreon and you're a growing number, uh, we appreciate it very much. Uh, so, Philip, hope you enjoy the next week. It's it's a nice fall. There's a nice. I played golf this week. And you play golf? I you, did. I did. Play you, golf. you keep surprising me. You don't. You don't. It looked like a golf guy, but okay, that's nice. Yeah. It's a perfect yeah, it weather. Beautiful weather. It was beautiful to play. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy the next week, and and we'll chat uh, next Thursday. Now I want to know how you do in golf. We'll talk about that later. Not well. <laughs> My number of the week is way over par. 